Welcome to today's podcast from Coastline Calvary Chapel in Gulf Breeze, Florida. We hope this message encourages you and brings light into your life. Someone once said, if scripture, if scripture was jewelry, the book of Romans would be like a diamond ring. And chapter 8 of the book of Romans would be the sparkling jewel set on top of the ring. The, the eighth chapter of Romans follows this crazy struggle that Paul describes with his flesh, how he wrestles with his sin. We saw it in chapter 7, verse 24, as it came to an end, he, he made this statement. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul, in that chapter, uses the word I and me and my over 47 times. 25 verses in the chapter 7, but the word I, me, and mine use over 47 times. Paul describes his struggle, his wrestling with sin and with the flesh, and trying to uh, use the law to make himself good, trying to keep certain rules and regulations and rituals and feasts and festivals, and to, by doing that, overcome sin. But he continued to fail. He continued to struggle and come up short. In fact, in the last seven chapters, chapter 1 through chapter 7 in the book of Romans, it's all about the problem with the flesh. Our, our desires, our, our inability to, to live right, to, to strive and you know, try real hard. In fact, in those first seven chapters, the Holy Spirit is only mentioned four times. And of those four times, some of them are not really even a direct mention of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 1, verse 4, for instance, it mentions the Spirit and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. That, that's the first mention of Spirit in the book of Romans. And then in chapter 2, verse 29, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit. That's the second mention of the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans. And then the third is in uh, chapter 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Spirit, kind of a, a direct, if you will, mention of the Holy Spirit. And then chapter 6, verse 7, verse 6. But now we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter, or, or you could say the law. Four times in seven chapters... The Holy Spirit's mentioned 47 times just in chapter 7, me, my, I, me. This, this struggle of trying to do it, to live it, to be it on my own. In chapter 8, 
the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times just in this one chapter. Paul answers the question in chapter 7 of, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this? By talking about the Holy Spirit. Talking about his freedom to live without guilt or shame. And he begins there in chapter 8 of the book of Romans with with this powerful statement. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit. And he just begins to talk about the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, you say, how how many verses is he going to read? All the way through 11, so you're, you're good. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, verse 5, the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded, well, it's, it's, it's deadly. But to be spiritually minded, it's life, it's peace. The carnal mind is at war, at enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh can't please God. But you're not in the flesh. But in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, well, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body's dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Paul begins to describe the difference between living the fleshly life and the spirit-filled life. The difference between the believer and, if you will, the unbeliever. The contrast between living in flesh or spirit. And he says that you and I, and this is one of Paul's greatest terms for Christian. He uses it over and over and over in the New Testament more than any other writer. He says, you and I are in Christ. Therefore, he says, if anyone be in Christ, now there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is his great description for believers. And because you're in Christ, he says, there's no condemnation. Let me, let me read that verse again. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say no trials. Still have those. He doesn't say no mistakes. We still make them. He doesn't say there are no consequences for our actions. There still are. I mean, Peter in the garden After three years of discipleship under Jesus, 
I mean, I can't think of any more powerful discipleship program than the one Jesus gave. He spent three years with just these guys, one-on-one as a group with three, and Peter's one of the three. He gets him in the garden. He's just about, he's told him to pray. They can't pray. All they do is sleep. The flesh is willing. You know, the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. And Peter pulls out a sword, and he cuts it. He tries to cut a guy's head off. He only gets his ear. And Jesus is like, Oh my gosh, what, what are you doing? And he puts the, and, and Peter failed. Right after that, he denies him three times. And I think Peter lived with that. He dealt with it. There, there, there was consequences. And, you know, David killed a man, had him murdered and, and had adultery with his wife. And the consequences, the child died. His family began to have all these issues. The, the word for condemnation here in chapter 8 is a very interesting word. It's rarely used in the New Testament. It's actually the word and can be translated judgment. Therefore, there is now no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, there's consequences, there's trials, there's difficulties, but the judgment has been paid. Christ paid it for you and I on the cross. He took our place. And this is such a a powerful principle of Scripture that you and I, because the price has been paid, will never be judged again for our sin. That's such a powerful principle that the early fathers of America put in our Constitution the Fifth Amendment that man can never be tried twice for the same crime. And they took it, I believe, from this understanding of God's dealing with sin. That once the sin has been dealt with, you can't deal with it again. So no man can be tried twice for the same crime. Jesus paid the price fully so we cannot be condemned, we cannot be judged again. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 5, verse 24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. It's the same word, rarely used, but it's, it will never come into condemnation, shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death to life. And it's in the present tense. It not, not will have passed, or maybe someday, but has right now, present tense, passed from death to everlasting life. A quality of life, as well as an everlasting, living forever life. Now, a lot of people think when things happen to them, well, God's mad at me, God's judging me. God doesn't judge. Listen. I hope this principle comes out. I, I may, may, may overemphasize it, but God doesn't judge. When you get a speeding ticket, that's not God judging you. You know what that is, right? When the refrigerator breaks, that's not like, oh, God, why? When the dog runs away, that's not God judging you. That could be a blessing in some ways. <laughs> the, the car won't start, that's not God judging you. I lost my job. Well, God, I, I, you're, no, it's not God judging you. God's out to get me. God must be punishing me. No, there's therefore now no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
He doesn't judge you. Now, he may, he may discipline you. He may correct you. But it's not a judgment. The reason is you're in Christ. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You have a new life in Christ. There's a new place when you become a believer that you begin to live, and it's in Christ. You're in Him, the Bible says, and it's a, it's a, it's a powerful position to be in. It's Paul's greatest description of the Christian life. And the Bible speaks of you and I, the Bible speaks of mankind living in two places. He says you're either in Christ or you're in Adam. You're either part of the fallen Adam or you're either part of that which has been raised to new life in Jesus Christ. It's mentioned for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For as in Adam... All die, even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. And there's two kinds of people in the world. There's those who are dead in their sins and those who are alive in Christ. And you and I, if you're a believer, are in union with Christ, communion with Christ, and connected to Christ in Christ, there is no judgment. There's no condemnation. And when you and I are in him, we're never the same again. We're in Christ. You're a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, I have a lot of friends who have come to Christ who, who, like me, were far, far from being a church person or a good person or a religious person who now are, are completely different than they ever were before because they're in Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, again, it says, there's no judgment to those who are in Christ who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. That only happens when you become a Christian, when you become a believer. There, there's something about the Holy Spirit that, that, that confirms in your heart, in your life, you know what? I belong to the Lord. I'm his child. I, I'm, I'm a new creation. I have my, my, my punishment is, is over. It's been dealt with on the cross. I have a new place to live, to dwell, so to speak. I'm in Christ. I'm no longer fallen and trapped in my sins. And I have a great expectation after life. That's a powerful stuff. Look what he says in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of, of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, now, let me have your attention. Tune in for just a moment. Paul begins to speak about the law, this word law, in two different ways. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ, verse 2, has made me free from the law of sin and death. That's one way he uses law, and I'll describe it in just a minute. For what the law, now he's talking about the law, which is, the Ten Commandments, the Torah. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. 
on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law, Moses' law, might be fulfilled in us, not, not through us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In verse 2, he says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And he's not talking about the law of Moses here. The word law here is speaking of a principle, a, a, a force, if you will, like the law of gravity, like the, like the law of sin in me. It's, it's not a written law, but it's, it's desires, it's longings, it's lusts. It, it's this thing in me, the, the law of sin. We all have it. Not the written code, not the rituals. And he says in verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from this sin, from this, from this law. There's, there's a new force. There's a new power in my life. There's a new person in my life. It's the Holy Spirit. A new controlling principle and power. And verses 3 and 4, once again, it's the written law that couldn't heal, that couldn't forgive, that, that was good. The law is very good, but who can keep it? It shows us our need for a Savior. It's kind of like this in verse 2. There's this law of sin. It's kind of like the law of gravity. We all would agree probably, I'm assuming, that there is a law of gravity. If I were to go down to uh, the new bridge, and, and they've got a cool little walkway now on the bridge where you can walk. I don't know if you can ride bikes on that or not, but it's all lit up now. It's really cool. You can walk all the way across the bridge into Pensacola if you want to or vice versa. And let's say you walk to the middle of it and you climb up on that arch and you get up there and you say, I'm going to fly. I am going to fly. I'm going to soar. And you jump off. And instead of soaring, you splash right? The law of gravity. It'll take you straight down into the water. And you come up out of the water, you're all wet, you're all soaking wet, you're, you're, you're like, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this? And a plane flies over. And you go, oh, that's how I can fly. That, that's how I can, you know, get above. That's how I can go somewhere over the rainbow where the sky is blue. And so you go and you look at an airplane and you think, wait a minute. Did you know that a, a Boeing 767 weighs 175,400 pounds sitting on the runway? And that's before 375 people get in it with all their luggage. And you see that thing sitting there and you go, if I can't fly, how could that fly? Well, it's a new, it's a, it's a new principle. It's a new power. It's the law of thrust, it's the law of lift, it's the law of aerodynamics. And a 175,000-pound machine can, can turn on its, its thrusters and make its way down that runway, and pretty soon, somewhere over the rainbow. It's amazing. It's a whole new law, it's a whole new principle. And we have this new law, this new principle, and it's not just a law, a principle, it's, it's a person, it's the Holy Spirit who comes into our life. It happened on the day of Pentecost when the church was born, and he empowered every believer. 
And he comes into our lives. And, and this is the way we're able to say no to sin. To live the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. And this happens two ways. Paul describes it here in Romans chapter 8. Number one, he says, we are in Christ. And number two, the Holy Spirit is in us. It's, it's this amazing thing that happens to believers. We're in Christ. And the Holy Spirit's in us. Most of you, uh, probably 99.9% .9 of you, came here today in some kind of car. You drove. And in that car, there's a gasoline tank, probably somewhere, where you store fuel. And because that fuel is in there, you can crank it up, use that fuel, and drive to church. You say, well, John, I've got a Prius. Well, Lottie, no, well, so, so you have a Prius, okay. You're still stored energy, right? You store electrical power, you have to, you have to charge the battery. And that's how you got here. Well, we have in our country in some areas like San Francisco and, and certainly in Europe, there's other kinds of vehicles like trolleys that work off this contact power. You've seen them. They've got, they've got these little arms that, that connect to wires up above and there's power running through it, electricity. And, and once it hits it, it powers this thing and it's contact power. It's not stored power. Well, here's the thing. We have stored power which is the holy spirit within us and we have contact power by being in contact in relationship and and in his word and in prayer and and spending time with and in a relationship with jesus and paul is describing it like this look not only do you have the holy spirit in you but you're in christ and you have this amazing power that comes through him our judgment is done there's no condemnation now in him He's paid the price. We have a position with Christ. And we also have the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we can live a new life. That's what Paul begins to describe. Oh, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? He goes, I've got this place in Christ and I have the Holy Spirit in my life. And so he begins to describe the difference between the two with verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, and I don't think he's talking about carnal Christians here and mature Christians here. I think he's talking about those who know and are in and those who are not, the saved, the unsaved. For those who live according to the flesh in their minds on the things of the flesh, they set their mind there. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. He's describing two different worlds. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded, well, you find life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at war with God, for it's not subject to the law of God. No, indeed, it can't be. So then those who are in the flesh versus those who are in Christ, well, they can't please God. But you're not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, and now if anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body's dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Not according to flesh, striving and trying to work it out. And Paul begins to contrast these two people, those in Adam, those in Christ, 
those who are saved, those who are unsaved, those unbelievers who are led by their desires, by their nature, by their carnal mind. They're earthly-minded. Jesus described it like this. And we live in a culture that is constantly trying to push us and draw us into this mindset. Jesus said it like this. Hey, no one can serve two masters. It's not possible. For you'll hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to the one, and you will be disloyal or despise the other. That's what it means to be disloyal. It's a, it's a form of despising. You can't serve God and stuff. That's what he says. And we live in a culture that is so bent on you and I serving stuff. He, he says, therefore I say to you, don't worry so much about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and about your body, what you're going to wear. But that's all we worry about if we're not careful. And what are we going to eat after church? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Where are we going to go? He says, look at, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? Which of you worrying can add a cubit to his stature? So, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. That I say to you, even Solomon, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He says, look, it's, it's, it's the carnal people that are just consumed by this stuff. But he said, it shouldn't be that way for you. Look up. Our judgment is done. The price is paid. We have this position in Christ. We have the, in, in the power of his Holy Spirit. He says, don't, don't, don't let yourself get drawn back into the carnal mindset. Believers, listen. Believers think differently. They act differently. They live differently. Or at least, let me say this, they can if they want to. They can choose to. That's what the scripture is saying. Our judgment is over. We're in Christ. And the Holy Spirit lives within us. And our hearts, as true believers, and I, I believe this is, is true for every Christian, our hearts, as those who have the Holy Spirit living in us, we want to please God. Deep down inside of every single believer, we want to live for Him. We want to bring pleasure to Him. I use the illustration, uh, first service, we have this little dog. And sometimes he is a pain in the neck, at least to me. But Lynn loves this guy to death. And all he lives for, it seems like, is to please. He comes up, his little tail's just, you know, <laughs> let's do something. Come on, let's, he drops a toy in front of you and sits there. Hey, let's play, let's do something. I don't want to do it. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Jumps up on the couch and leans up against you like, <laughs> <You're> like <laughs> aren't you ever bummed? <laughs> Don't you have a bad day? It seems like he never does. He just wants to please, just wants to be there. And I think, man, I think deep down inside of every believer, we're kind of like that. <laughs> hey, God, let's do something. Let's go on an adventure. Let's, let's, let's see you do something, Lord. Throw it. I'll go get it. And God loves that. And I think deep inside of every believer, we, we have this, you know, desire to love him and to serve him. Not just be forgiven by him, although that's wonderful. I love being forgiven by God, but also to live in a way 
that God says, man, that's my boy, that's my girl. They're living for me. Paul's talking about that here. He said, ah, I couldn't do it until I was in Christ and, and his spirit was living in me. And now there's this ability. I think you can in a practical daily lifestyle live for him. You're going to stumble and fall. Yeah. But you kind of hear this mantra in our culture today. And it's very subtle. It creeps into the believer's heart, the believer's mind. And it's kind of like this. Well, I believe what God really wants is for me to just be happy. That's what he wants. And just live my life. Well, I, I don't think that that's God's top priority for you or for me. He wants you to be surrendered. He wants you to be free. He wants you to live right. And the way to happiness is not everything being about me. I, I love the story, and you're very familiar with it. We all, all are of Jesus and the woman at the well. Powerful story, full of all kinds of, of sub-stories. There's the woman, there's the disciples, there's the townspeople, there's Jesus. There's all this stuff going on in this little story. Jesus makes his way from, it says, down into the southern part of Israel, from Judea. He makes his way up to Samaria. He's on his way to Galilee. It's a four to five day long walk by foot. And when he gets there, he's tired, the scripture says, and he sits down at the well. Picture that, Jesus sitting by a well. Disciples go in town to get some food. And there's Jesus, and this woman comes up, and Jesus says to her, could you give me a drink? And immediately you're confronted with racial prejudice. You ask me for something to drink, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. They don't have any dealings. And that goes way back 700 years before Jesus was ever on the scene where the Assyrians came in. They, they, they captured Samaria and they took off all these people and they sent back all these different races and religions and they intermarried and they had their own worship now. They had idolatry. They had all these things that a faithful Jew despised. So there was this tension between the two. And Jesus looks at her and he goes, if you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink, you'd ask me for a drink. And I'd give you water that would become a fountain, a spring of water in you that would bubble up to everlasting life. And the woman was like, wow, who, who are you? I mean, are you greater than Jacob, the one who, who established this well? You don't even have anything to, to draw from. She said, well, give me this water that I wouldn't have to come here anymore and, and drink. And Jesus looks at her and he goes, oh, Okay, but go get your husband. You say, John, are you in a whole new sermon now? <laughs> no, th there's a point here. I'm getting there. Go, go get your husband. And she, she, she kind of looks down, I think, says, well, I don't have a husband. Jesus goes, well, you're right. You don't, but you've had five. And the one you're living with right now, acting like your husband and wife, is not your husband. And her mind is reeling, living water, springs dwelling up, quench my thirst. I perceive you're a prophet. A prophet was someone who, who, who knew only what they knew because God would tell them something. Like when David was confronted by the prophet. I, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she begins to ask him questions because here's a woman who's desperate for this water that he's talking about. She goes, you know, our fathers say we, we can find God and worship God on this mountain here in Samaria. You Jews say it's in Jerusalem. She goes, look, just tell me which one. 
Because I want to seek God. I want to know God. I don't think she's trying to draw the prophet off theologically or get him confused. She says, tell me how I really find God. And I know you're talking about spiritual stuff here. How does it happen? Now, Jesus, I think, blows her mind. He said, no, no, no. It's not about seeking God here. It's not about seeking God there. Here's what it's about. God's seeking you. He's seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And she's like, I think she's dumbfounded. She's like, well, God's seeking me? Yeah, it's not about something you do or where you go or where you perform this sacrifice. Or that. No, God is seeking you that you might be born of his spirit and you might worship him in truth. And I would submit to you that that's God's top priority. Not something you do, but someone you become. And if you become that person who only has one master and you say, well, you know, Lord, I seek you and I want to be a true worshiper of you in spirit and the truth, then the, the happiness follows. It's about becoming someone, not about doing something. And walking in the spirit and, and finding peace in life. Living the way that, that he designed you and I to live. That's what Jesus came to that well for. There's a woman there who's not living the way God designed her to live. And he came to set her free by her becoming a worshiper and spirit and truth. See, happy people are not addicted to destructive habits. Happy people are not living for self and prosperity. Happy people are, are in the process of, of, of growing and maturing in Christ. The, the main key is where you let your heart and your mind dwell. He, here's what it says in Romans chapter 8. We're, we're, we're getting near the end in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. It says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit well, their mind keeps going back to the things of the Spirit. For the carnally minded is death. There's never fulfillment. There's never satisfaction. But the spiritually minded, well, they're finding life. And they're finding peace. Paul identifies the struggle in chapter 7. Oh, wretched men that I am, it's this flesh. Who, who's who's going to save me from this? And Paul begins over and over and over again in chapter 8 to say it's in Christ and it's the Spirit in you. It's being one who sets his mind on those things that are spiritual, not those things that are carnal. You still stumble. You still struggle. But it's kind of like that commercial. You know that commercial that I hate this commercial now that I'm getting older. The one that says, I've fallen and I can't get up. Right? I hate that commercial. But here's the deal. As a Christian, if you're fallen, you can get up. That's the deal. You can get up. And some of you here today, the Lord might be saying to you very clearly and very powerfully through his word, get up. Your sins have already been judged. You're in Christ. The Holy Spirit's in you. Set your mind on spiritual things. Turn the stuff off that you're listening to and, 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 and get away from the stuff and the junk and, and, you know, focus on whatsoever things are just and pure and lovely of good report. Think on these things and say, Lord, how can I please you today? How can I serve you today? You don't have to go be a missionary in the darkest part of Africa. Just say hi to your neighbor. Hey, 
Instead of zooming by with a scowl on your face, there goes that Christian. Get a conversation going with someone. Help somebody. Tell someone about Jesus. Just give them, give them, a, give them a Coastline Guffrey's card. Watch them throw it in the trash. But give it to them anyway. God calls you and I to become someone who is in Christ. Not to do something all the time, but to be someone who's a worshiper, spirit, and the truth. All the rest of that stuff follows. Once she realized who he was, she told the whole town about it. I've never seen a more unlikely evangelist in my life. Hey, let's pick the lady who's been married five times, you know, and is an idolater to reach the town. But she became a worshiper and spirit and truth. You and I have become believers if you're here today and you know Christ, and there's now no judgment for your sin, and the Holy Spirit's in you, and you're in Christ. What a powerful combination. He says, come on, get up. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us again as we dive into the scripture, going verse by verse here at Coastline Calvary Chapel. 